Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Take your Bibles and open to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. The Gospel of John, chapter 11. Today we're going to talk about the resurrection and the life, part one. Let me begin by kind of framing our thinking this morning around a question. Have you ever had an event in your life when what it was that you believed about God, about the Lord Jesus, did not align with what you felt in your heart. Has there ever been a time in your life when what you knew to be true of God because of what his word says, and your God, you said it right here in your word, but that belief did not align with what you felt or what you sensed in your heart. Maybe you said, God, I believe your word, but I don't feel you in my life. And my question to you is, what do you do when you have the right doctrine, but that void remains in your heart? What do you do? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I want you to see, friends, that Jesus works with resurrection power for eternal life to all who believe in him. Jesus works That's what you've got to understand. God's working for you. God's working for you. Jesus works with resurrection power for eternal life to all who believe in him. Let's go to verse 1 and let's begin reading this account. John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Let's pause there for just a moment. Lord, we pray today that Through the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of your word, you would reveal yourself to us today. Lazarus is ill. That's what the messengers told Jesus. Actually, the one you love, they said, is ill. And it tells us that he is the brother of Mary and Martha, and they hold a deep love for Jesus. For it tells us in verse 2 that Mary is actually the one who anoints Jesus' feet with oil and wipes his feet with her hair. And so it tells us in verse 4 that Jesus responds first and foremost with the purpose for Lazarus' illness, that the Son of God might be glorified. There's something interesting I want you to know about this story before we get completely into it today. And it's simply this. This story has been put out of chronological order. The event 
of Mary anointing Jesus' feet will not happen for three more chapters in chapter 14. But it is here that John places this story because he uses it with an intentional purpose in mind. He wants to make a theological point of Jesus' focus because at this point in the Gospel of John, you will begin to see Jesus' focus shift just from his earthly ministry to his ultimate aim for being on the earth. And that's what he says here in verse 3. It's also a good thing that he said Jesus loved them because that response in verse 4 might lead somebody to think, wow, that's unloving, right? Oh, your brother's ill? I'll be there in a few days. I mean, at first reading, you could almost interpret it that way and it would be on the surface true. But you see, Jesus is focused on the Father's glory. He is operating under a divine authority in order to maximize and to multiply the glory of God in a way that no one's ever known. And he will bring about a revelation that no one has yet conceived until this time. Let's go back to verse 5 and keep reading. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Again, Jesus highlights and affirms his love for Mary and for Martha and for Lazarus as well. And that's important because it shows, friends, the love in the relationship is not just one directional. In other words, it shows us that Mary and Martha and Lazarus don't have a deep abiding love for Jesus, but Jesus has a rather cool affection for them, right? No, as a matter of fact, the love flowed both ways deeply in this relationship, and you will see that later in this account. But his response is not a natural reaction, is it not? When you get this kind of news, it's the kind of news that you drop everything to respond to. Especially Jesus, whom they knew, and he as well, that he's the only one that could really do anything about it at that moment, right? It was out of their hands. Let's go to Jesus, right? Because nothing's out of his hands. But his response seemed distant, if not delayed. And it's a good thing that he did say Jesus loved him because one might be tempted to think otherwise by his response. But while Jesus and his weight may not make sense to us, he tells the disciples and he will ultimately tell Mary and Martha that his weight held a very intentional purpose for him and for the glory of God. And then the next verse, after two days, it said, he told the disciples, we're going to make our way down to 
Bethany. Now, Bethany was only about two miles to the east of Jerusalem. And what we know is that Jerusalem was the hotbed of tension and warring between Jesus and the Pharisees. Those who sought to kill Jesus were centered in Jerusalem. And he would have to pass through Jerusalem, which was in in the region of Judea. He would have to pass through that city in order to get to Bethany. And so, naturally, the disciples said, you know, I don't know if we ought to do that. They're already calling for your head. Maybe we should rethink this. And the disciples didn't want him to go because of the threat. But Jesus says this, he who walks by the light of day doesn't stumble because he can see where he's going. But the one who walks at night stumbles because the light is not within him. You see, Jesus is obeying the Father's voice that is telling him everything that he is to do. That's what he'll tell us later in this same gospel, that he doesn't say nor do anything that he's not been told by the Father to do or to say. And that's what he's modeling here, is that he's listening to the Father to do what the Father tells him. You see, light helps us go about our day, and what a blessing it really is. But God's light within illumines us from within, no matter what it is that's going on around us. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And so he tells his disciples why it is that they are going. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Oh, he's asleep. So the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. So Lazarus has fallen asleep now and and they want to go wake him up. That's what they thought at first. You see, sleep is a common reference to the saints in the New Testament who have fallen asleep. We see that in a couple of different places, but most specifically 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul's talking about the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, all those who are asleep shall be awakened. He's speaking of those who've passed to death. But in the power of God, it's just sleep for the soul until he comes to raise them. You see, the disciples thought he meant sleep, but he was speaking of death. And Jesus said that Lazarus had died because he wanted the disciples to believe. You can only imagine that maybe Lazarus later thought, thanks guys, appreciate y'all needing an object lesson that God chose to use me for, right? You see, friends, we, when we are confused by God's work and by God's ways, we can always trust that he will reveal what we need to know in order to know him better. Sometimes we think that we're the ones pursuing God. But what we see here from the very beginning is that Jesus is not only pursuing the Father's glory, but in the midst of pursuing the Father's glory, he's coming after everyone, pursuing them out of love that loves him to know him more intimately in this situation. Jesus is laboring so his disciples and all of those who see this take place will believe in who he is. That's what he's doing here. And so he reveals his purpose 
for the placement of this narrative, John does. He, he centers the account to magnify the purpose of his whole gospel. We know this, that in John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, all of these things I've written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and in his name have eternal life. It's a whole point of why he's writing and he captures that here. In other words, he takes a story out of chronological order and he places it at a strategic location in the telling of his narrative of the work of Jesus Christ because he's wanting to say this as he said from the beginning of his gospel as he will culminate in the end so he pointedly directs them to it in the middle to say this I'm telling you this because I'm wanting you to believe in who this man is Jesus is the Christ the son of God who has come as the salvation of the world see friends all of Jesus's work in your life serves this purpose that you might believe in him all of his work does. Nothing happens in this life. I don't care if it's great or small. I don't care if it's magnificent or minute. I don't care if it's ultimate or only immediate. Nothing happens in life where Jesus is not laboring for you to believe in him and to receive the life that he gives. And so then we hear this one called Thomas. Thomas the twin, John makes a point to point out to us here. That word for twin in the Greek is didymus. That's only important because, well, you'll see in just a moment. Thomas is most remembered for what? Doubting. Doubting Thomas, right? Didymus the doubter. Didymus the doubter. Why? Because he had to put his hands in Jesus' hands and his hands in Jesus' side to believe that Jesus was real. But friends, I think right here we see something totally different about Thomas. It's not that Thomas or Didymus was the doubter, but rather I propose to you that Didymus was a discerner. A discerner of what God was doing and he discerned that there was a deeper purpose though he didn't fully understand it to what Jesus was wanting to do here and what he did was demonstrate a stronger faith and a stronger gift that discerns that deeper intent and a deeper readiness to follow the Lord you see spending time with Jesus gives us greater discernment into his purposes and it gives us greater discernment to make us hungrier to experience experiences those purposes in our life and that's what Thomas is demonstrating for us here let's go back one more time to verse 17 and finish this portion now when Jesus came he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days so even by the point at this point that the message came to Jesus he was likely already passed from this life. Verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection 
and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Friends, this is the most powerful interaction with some of Jesus' most beloved friends on the earth. The funeral exercises had already commenced. The crowd was gathering. They were weeping and mourning, and Lazarus' body had already been in the grave for four days. Likely commentators and scholars tell us that one of the principal reasons John points that out is not just to confirm death, but that which follows physical death, that the body had already begun the active process of decaying. And so later they'll say, hey, you can't go in there, man. I mean, it's going to stink because the body has already begun to break down and return to that from which it was made. But Martha comes out amidst all of the activity of grieving. She rushes out when she hears that Jesus has come and meets him before he gets to the funeral activities. And, 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 and she, she exercises a bold statement of faith. But you hear that there's something lacking in the moment for her. And what Jesus says is that he assures her her brother will rise again. And Martha says, I I know, I know, I believe in the hope of the resurrection. I don't need a theological lesson right now. I don't need to have a sharper doctrinal point made right now. I get that. I believe that you, Jesus, are definitively the Christ. But, but. My brother is dead. And the weight of the burden of the reality of life is heavier than the shining of your truth in my heart right now. That's where Martha finds herself with Jesus at this point. When relationships are broken... When the situation is heavy, a doctrinal position may still remain in your mind, but it can feel like a cold void in the heart. And I believe that's what Martha is saying to Jesus here. I believe. I believe. Jesus is not oblivious to Martha's pain nor to her grief. As a matter of fact, Jesus is doing something far more glorious than just reiterating a theological point or a doctrinal position. He's teaching far more than theology here, friends. He says this, I am the resurrection and the life. All who believe will live. Do you believe? Friends, I think this is powerful because I think this strikes at the heart 
of where our cultural Christianity takes a massive turn away from biblical Christianity today. In the age where education rules in so many realms, we think that to have an intellect that achieves or attains to a certain level is sufficient. And friends, I'm not downplaying education. I'm surely not downplaying intellect or knowledge of God that comes from the study of his word. As a matter of fact, all I'm saying to us today is that those are not an end in and of themselves. But they point us to someone. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here today. Martha responds that she does believe that Jesus is God's Messiah. Martha believes, but listen friends, there is an absence between what she believes and what she feels. Because of the burden of the moment, because of the situation that her life finds itself in, because of that which is surrounding her even now, because of her real and present experience. And what Jesus' statement does is far more powerful than Martha yet recognizes. In some ways, it feels like Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, Martha. And if you're under 40, you might not get that unless you watch true TV and you've seen the Brady Bunch. I know her name's Marcia, but Martha fits. Here's what Jesus is saying. Your hope and your trust is not in a theological point or a doctrinal position, but it is in a person. It is in a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. Right theology and right doctrine are critical and essential for us today, friends, but they are not ultimate. You can have all of the right intellect of Christianity and miss the only point of Christianity. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here, that they in right theology and doctrine are a guiding light to the one who is our hope and our life. Jesus is the power of life. No matter what's going on around us, he is always with us. This is so powerful. You see, theological points and positions and doctrinal understandings, yea, even your daily Bible reading, that's not the point. It's the path, friends. It's the means to which Jesus brings our understanding and and in the way God created us that, that our mind would be control central, but it wouldn't be ultimate because there is a pathway from the mind that leads to a deeper inner recess of the heart, of the center of life. And God says, listen, I was not or I didn't create you to, to simply uh, uh, stay in your cranial gray matter. I created you to know you where I put you. And that's in your soul. That's in the center of your being. And that's what Jesus is saying. When what we believe comes to full fruition, it spotlights on the person of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit illumines our understanding to say, this is it. He is the one. And that's what he's saying to Martha with all of the compassion. You see, if Jesus had come before Lazarus died, 
it would have just been like arriving before the real death knell took place. But Jesus said, listen, that's not a problem. That's not a problem. I want to stop here today because, friends, this is critical in our understanding of Jesus' power in our own life. Our most difficult struggle for the Christian life is where Jesus gives the most hopeful of truths. I call this a void of life. It's what I would consider the space between our positional belief and our experiential reality. You see, and typically what we do is we default to one or the other. Let's just know as much as we can about God or let's just experience as much as we can about God. But what we're looking at in this passage is the space between those that ties everything about Jesus Christ together in the gospel for us. And that's what he is teaching us. It's between this void is between what we believe in God's word. So true factual information that we know is right. It's between that and what seems lacking in our life. It is the space of faith. There is no doubt about that. And we're speaking to Christians. We're not talking about people here today who are living in, in, in sinful lifestyles, who are living in open rebellion to God. Listen, friends, you do need to believe in Jesus and repent from that. And he offers hope to you of eternal life. But, but I want you to know that if you're walking with Jesus by faith today, that doesn't excuse you from experiences, experiencing voids in your life. You, you don't get a get out of void free card. Why? Because I don't know if there was anyone in the scriptures other than John, the writer of this gospel account, who loved Jesus personally and humanly more than Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And we see that. That's what it tells us. That's what John is saying. I know I'm called the beloved, but inside I'm pretty sure Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus even more than me in this earth. And that was a good thing for him. And that's what we're looking at here, friends. You might think of it as a gap, but I prefer to talk of it as a void because it's more of an absence than just a distance. And these moments of void reveal places where we're not living in Jesus' resurrection power, but where Jesus comes near to us that he might go deeper in us. That's what Jesus is saying to you. And that's why I can't preach a message like this without first of all causing you to ask of your own life and your own heart, where is it that you know what you believe about God is right, but what you're experiencing with God just seems to be unfulfilled, a void in your own heart. And Jesus is coming near today to go deeper in you. He wants to bring the power of his resurrection and life to the void moments of your life. I've told this story a number of times because it's such a critical marker for my own life. But at the age of 21, my grandmother passed away. In four months, she was diagnosed with cancer. In May, in August, we were celebrating her life at her funeral. It was quick, almost in the blink of an eye, it felt like. 
And that was when I was 21 years old. For the six previous years, I had been wrestling with God because of death in my life. Several grandparents had passed away. I'd lost several friends to tragedies in high school. And to be quite honest, every time I just told God, it's your fault, I shook my fist in his face and I turned away from him. And then after I became a Christian, early on in that time, I still shook my fist in his face and said, I know I shouldn't do this, but I want to, and I don't understand why this happens, though I know what your word says. I didn't question whether my knowledge of the Bible was right or accurate, but I did wonder why what I sensed and felt in my life didn't seem to reflect what God had said in his word. And so at the age of 21, my grandmother's funeral, we're celebrating her life. She taught first graders for 60 years in her church. That's just, yeah. As a pastor, we'll sign you up today for the next 60. And you don't even have to teach first grade. You could teach second, fourth, whatever. Two-year-olds. And in an instant... Just like he said to Martha, Martha, he said, Lane, Lane, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. The hymn we were singing was because he lives. I can face tomorrow because he lives. And that, it just became clear. It just turned on a light from my head to my heart where I went, that's it. That's it. And never more from that day forward have I questioned this. Friends, I want to encourage you today that in the moments of those voids that you will experience, God is glorified because Jesus' presence is made more real to you. Life presents our greatest opportunity for growth and maturity when we learn to look through the reality of our situation to focus on Jesus and to let his light living within lead us to him. Friends, Jesus is not wanting you to look for a powerful work. Jesus is not telling you you need to look for some kind of experiential feeling, some kind of a lofty argument, or even a natural law-defying miracle. Though Jesus did all of those things, he's not teaching that we need to think deeper, we need to think harder, we need to do more. He's telling us this, he wants us to know him more intimately. That's what he's saying to Martha. That's what he's teaching us. He wants you to trust in him. You see, relationship with Jesus builds on our knowledge. That's our theological understanding and our doctrinal positions. It builds on our knowledge but it does that in order to grow our intimacy with him. All of God's work in your life, friends, is not intended to give you something, but it is intended to reveal someone to you. And until we wake up to that, we're going to struggle with our relationship with God. God's not just doing something so he can give you something, but 
everything that he does in the great and in the small, in the magnificent and in the minute, in the ultimate and in the immediate is that you might know him and not just what he can give to you. Faith in Jesus leads to intimacy, not knowing that he is life, but coming to know him as your life. And that's what Jesus is saying. The resurrection is not simply a doctrinal position, friends. The resurrection is a person of the Godhead. And that is important for us. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Our doctrinal positions that we hold plus the experiences we have do not equal our salvation. Rather, they point us to the one who is our salvation. Our salvation and eternal hope is not because we hold the right answer at the right time. And don't tell me you haven't trusted in that. Because you've delivered the right answer at the right time and you've patted yourself on the back. And about the time you stop patting yourself on the back, you realize it did not provide or bring what I thought it would. Why? Because that's not the point, friends. Jesus brings life to us that we might walk closely with him no matter what it is that's going on around us. Friends, the void is not a time for you to avoid in your life, but it is always a time for you to look at your relationship with Jesus and to grow in that intimacy. He breaks through the reality of our brokenness and of this broken world with a resurrection power to bring life through intimacy with him. Friends, Jesus is working to grow intimacy in your walk with him he is here and he works with resurrection power for eternal life to all who believe in him have you ever found yourself asking where are you god where are you what are you doing when we believe and hold to jesus in these moments we'll find a deeper intimacy or Or we'll stray from him and find our own way. What will you do? Well, I quickly want to offer you four counsels. Four counsels that we see in this passage. To walk with Jesus. Not to just know about him. But to know him more intimately in the moments of void in your life. And I'll say this. This counsel should lead you more intimately into him. Through knowledge, but into an intimate relationship. The first counsel is this. Set God's glory as your first priority in all of life. Friends, this may seem simple. And let me tell you something. I'm all about God's glory until he jacks with my comforts. I am all about God's glory until he messes with my priorities. And then we have to have a talk, right? And that's why this is so important. You must prioritize God's glory in your life so that it rules everything you think, you say, and you do. And here's the first thing that we see that can be most difficult for us. Listen, no amount of love and no amount of devotion to Jesus entitles one to a free pass from suffering and hardship. That's almost the first card we want to pull out when the void arises. God, I love you. God, I'm devoted to you. 
Look how much I've done for you. Look at all that I've said for you. But look who he's talking to here. Martha and Mary and Lazarus. No amount of love entitles us to a free pass from suffering. You see, suffering paved the way for Jesus' perfect glory in the world, and it will pave ours too. And it may be that our great love for Jesus is the very thing that God chooses in order for a special display of his glory. You can know that God's glory is the priority of your life when you stop looking at the situation or the suffering first and rather let it lead you to Jesus. You can know Jesus is your highest hope when looking to him becomes your first response. It's not that you deny the situation or the reality of the void, but you simply say, God, here it is. It hurts, it's hard, it's heavy, and I don't know what to do, but it's yours. Because for whatever reason, whether this is great or small, you're going to bring your glory through my life in this. And that's what I want most of all. The second counsel I would give to you is found in verses 9 and 10. It's this. Live in Jesus' light within you by walking in the truth of God's word that you are in. Live in Jesus' light that is within you by walking in the truth of God's word. Friends, when the reality of your situation doesn't seem to align with the truth of God's word, keep following what you know to be true of him until he reveals himself to you for more direction, more understanding, more comfort to your situation, whatever the case may be. That's the reason the psalmist says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So often we quote that psalm and we say this, it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path we can see but light is not just about seeing light is about comforting us as well light is about securing us if you don't believe me go out into the wilderness and want a fire it will provide more than just sight it will bring much more to you than only that and that's what the psalmist is saying because when the light of God is illumining within you will not only not have to ask what is my next step and what direction are you leading me in but I know you're with me. I know you're with me, God. When we follow God's word by faith, Prince Jesus is with us. With us. Such a simple word, such a profound comfort, no matter how unknown the path may seem. And as we walk by faith in the light of God's word, we should never forget, friends, never forget this. Timing is everything in God's work. Everything, not the tick-tock of the clock, but the moment in which glory will be maximized and multiplied. Romans 5, 6 tells us this, at just the right time, it wasn't chronology, it was kairos, it was glory. And that's what God is working in your life for. We operate by the clock, do we not? Anybody show up early today? Hang on, we got two more services to go. Might be happening right now. When we live by the light of the Lord Jesus within us and we walk in the truth of his word, he guides us into his perfect will, the work that he is doing, the way that he is doing it. But listen, most importantly, the perfect win of his glory. God's light within us guides us even through the night. 
And it's always greater and far more powerful than the light that is around us. The third counsel I offer to you is submit to follow Jesus' work and way as he's revealed in his word. When the disciples didn't understand what was happening and they opposed Jesus' plans, what did Thomas do? He provided a powerful answer. We need to submit to follow Jesus in his work and way. And let me tell you, friends, Didymus the doubter that we all know him by, who's really Didymus the discerner, cuts through the clutter and the cloudiness of what's taking place to bring to great clarity what the disciples needed to do. And that's what he led them in. You may not know at this very moment, nor could even imagine what God could possibly do through this, but do not fear, friend, because God works the unimaginable. What we cannot conceive, nor would we ever imagine, just becomes the standard M.O. for God. That's modus operandi, the way he operates. He is beyond us, and he comes to us. Let the word of God in which you walk by faith guide what you do and guide how you do. That's what Thomas shows us, the value of spiritual discernment that cuts away the clutter of life, the things that aren't that important that we've made more important, the things that we've given first priority where God should be first priority in our life, the things in which we've given greater value to, discernment cuts away to go, Jesus is more worthy than that. Follow him and the light that is within you from him. When the light of God's word is with in you. The Spirit of God brings discernment to you, and discernment cuts through the confusion of the situation to the very heart of the matter, yea, even our own heart. And it brings an eternal perspective to immediate situations for personal joy and worship. I told you last week, do not pray for more joy, pray for marrow joy. Joy that is deeper and more abiding that cannot just go away because it latched on to the outside. And never forget this, friends, the value of together. What did Thomas do? He didn't say, I'm going. He said, let's go. Christian fellowship is important for faithful obedience and for courage in following Jesus. The fourth counsel I'll give you is this. Hold in faith to what you know to be true of Jesus until it takes hold of you. Holding a doctrinal position is far more than a mere set of facts like other knowledge. For truth is alive, friends. And when we hold to God's truth as revealed in his word, it takes hold of us to reveal greater glory through deeper meaning, deeper significance, and deeper purpose than merely intellect or knowledge. We believe in Jesus when we hold to God's truth by faith until what it says becomes a living reality in our life. Let me give you one verse and I'll close. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Jesus works with resurrection power for eternal life to all who believe in him.